Well, the mother of three notoriously misbehaved children was asked, would you, if you had a chance to do it all over again, would you have children again? And her answer was surprising, and it was immediate. She said, oh, absolutely, for sure I would. Just not the same ones, right? <laughs> well, I am very excited about where we're going over the next couple weeks. We have not spent much time in a long time talking about this very important issue called parenthood. And here it is. Parenting really does matter. And I get it. Some of y'all right now, you're already starting to check out a little bit because maybe you're single or, or maybe you don't have kids and you think this is irrelevant to you or maybe you are a, a, a grandparent and you're past the parenting stage or, or maybe you just think like your kids are too crazy and too far gone and no matter what you do now, it won't help any, okay? Um, but I don't want you to think that because listen, it is never too late to parent wisely. Amen? Y'all with me on this? It is never too late to parent wisely to get better at parenting and it's never too early to start to figure out the kind of parent you want to become and to work in that direction and to move in that direction. So if you could just help me out, I'd like to start off with a little bit of a question here. How many of you would say that you know a family that is dysfunctional? You've seen it, like you're, you're going like, you know, if that kid turns out in that family like a normal human being, it will be a miracle of epic proportions. Anybody ever know somebody like that? All right, hands up all over. Uh, how many would say that's your family? You're not supposed to answer that. But here, here's the truth, guys. This is, this is absolutely true. Parenting is really hard. The truth is, is that raising kids is really, really hard. It's expensive. It's time-consuming. It's heartbreaking. It, it, it's physically draining. It's emotionally taxing. It is challenging in every single way. And it's one other thing. It is awfully, awfully wonderful. It really is. Um, I can tell you that honestly that I love, love, love my four kids. I've had more joy, more uh, laughs, more smiles, more hugs, uh, more highs, more good, more memories that have come from my kids than I could ever, ever even begin to express. I've had more pure joy uh, from, from what they have given to me, way more than I have been able to give to them. And so even with all of the pains and when all of the difficulties come, even when your kids go off the rails... And every kid goes off the rails once in a while. It's still been good. I have loved this thing called parenting. It has not only changed our lives, but it has taken over our lives. Many of you guys know that for many years, Lynette and I um, could not have children. And we tried. And uh, I will tell you this, that Lynette and I would say that the deepest pain we have known in all of life has been when we ached to have a child and there was no child for us. And, and so we, we get it. And there are some of you in this room, that's you. And as we begin to even talk about this idea of, of parenting, it is stirring up some emotions in you because you've either, either wanted to have a child or maybe uh, you want to have another child or, or maybe you look back in your life and some of the things in your child-parent relationship, they have just gone south. And, and so for you, you're heartbroken over this. And this stirs an emotion in you. And you want to get up and walk out. You want to get up and get out. Because this is a hard thing to talk about. And I just want you to know that I get it. I understand this. Um, my heart breaks for you. My prayer for you is that, um, is that God would give you his desires. And more than that, that God would give you your desires for a child or to have that child-parent relationship made whole again. That's my prayer for you. Y'all with me on this?
So this is going to be hard, but I'm encouraging you, and I want you to hang with me in this. I want you to go deep into this with me and be open to it. Because, you know, let's just be honest, over the years, there have been several times that, you know, after being woken up five or six times in, in the night uh, by, by different kids for various reasons, after being uh, peed on, thrown up on, pooped on, sneezed on, uh, and sometimes all spilled on, all sometimes in the same moment, right? Uh, there have been many times that I've just wanted to kind of say, I have got to rethink my desire to be a parent. I remember one time, Absolutely true story. Lynette and I were going on like a little vacation and we went to Dallas, Texas. And this was big for us. This is like the first time we took our little guy. Zachary was probably three or four years old. Uh, it had to be about three, I think, because I, I don't think Madeline wasn't even born yet. And so uh, we're, we're going down south. And this is a big deal for our little family. We are staying in the Hilton Hotel. This is big to me, all right? And so we're there, and it's, we got in real late, and, and they, this, this was so fancy that they had two queen-size beds, glory to God, okay, in this room. And so we get our little guy, three-year-old little boy, all snuggled up in this big queen-size bed. He's all himself, and he's starting to sleep away, and it's a beautiful thing. Lynette and I are, you know, got our bed over here. And, and then, you know, uh, just like an hour or so later, we were woken up by lethal projectile vomiting. We are here, we are just camped out in our own bed, minding our own business, and all of a sudden, I mean, literally, you know that gap you got between the two beds in the hotel? You know what I'm talking about? It transversed that gap. I mean, it is landing on us over here, and you're going, what? And all of a sudden, he's screaming, and you're screaming, and it is going Everywhere, no kidding. Every we're talking the walls, we're talking the floor, we're talking the nightstand, we're talking the. He is just up and he is letting it fly, and I had no idea. True story, I had no idea that this much stuff could come out of a three-year-old. I'm not kidding. And, and so when it was all said and done, all said and done, Lynette does such a great job. She picks up little Z and and literally just carries him like this to the, and it and it smelled so bad. You all know, you can connect here. I mean, she picks him up and she's doing this deal and she's such a great mom and she puts him in the tub and the, the, the big jacuzzi type of thing they have and she's starting to clean. So me being the young father, good father, good husband that I am, I say, I'll, I'll clean up the room, honey. And so I start the deal and I go, oh my goodness, and you just want to faint, you know? And, and, and you got all this stuff. And so I'm rolling the sheets up. And I'm not kidding. I'm like rolling the sheets up. It's covered. I'm taking the stuff off of our bed. And, stuff. and I notice, oh my gosh, it's all over the walls. And so now I'm grabbing the sheets and wiping the walls. And I'm like, oh my goodness, every pillow is covered. So I'm like, I don't even know what to do with the pillow. So I shove them in the middle and the nightstand. And so we're, this is the Hilton Hotel. This is the Hilton Hotel hotel and we are loaded at this moment because we have a balcony and a light bulb goes on. This is perfect. This is perfect. So I open the sliding door and I kid you not, I start taking every sheet, every blanket, every pillow. I'm just putting it all out there. Stuff's dripping over the edge and I grab the nightstand. I'm like, oh, it's got to come. And, and so I'm like grabbing the dresser, trying to drag it outside because it was so horrible. And I realized when I'm working all this magic, I'm like going, I can't fix this. I just cannot possibly fix this. So I go down to the front desk. Now this is, did I say the Hilton Hotel, right? And, and at the airport, nonetheless. And so uh, I go down and, and, and it was like one of the, these people are so good. They're so kind. They're Southerners. They're so hospitable, hospitable. They look at me like, dude, what is wrong with you? And they're like, oh, they could smell me before they see me kind of a deal, you know? I am covered. I am 
covered, right? And so I'm at the front desk, and I'm like trying to explain, my little guy, he must have got air sick or something, and he, uh, you know, and they go, we'll send somebody up. And so, of course, I go up, and we meet this somebody up there, and housekeeping comes, and, and I kid you not, true story, honestly, God, this is exactly what happens. They open the door, and I go, oh my gosh. The word nasty came out of their mouth, right? I mean, like, this is nasty. And, and, and this is a true story. All of a sudden, the person just makes a snap decision and goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you a different room all together, sir, and we will let, this is what they said, we will let the morning crew take care of this. And I kid you not, they grab my bags, and they're yanking those things out, and they shut the door, and that was all there was to it. Oh, the joys of parenthood, right? But I can tell you this, I would not exchange it for the whole world. I loved every minute of uh, growing up our babies. I love coming home and having their little faces at the door going, daddy's home, daddy's home, daddy's home. I, I remember um, the laughter and the wrestling and the hanging hugs as we used to call them in the Shasso home. They're too big for that now. They would break me. But I remember um, the, the, all the nights when they come into the room late at night and they say, can we just cuddle in mommy and daddy's bed? That gets a little bit weird when they're 15 and 18, you know what I'm saying? But when they're little, oh, you know, you have those memories. Do you have those? You know what I'm saying? Where, where there's things that you can just never replace ever. And, and, and I remember um, the butterfly kisses that my little girl would give me. And, and, and I remember, and I love the bike rides and I love the playing ball, the thousands and thousands of pitches back and forth. I loved every minute of it. I loved the hiking and I loved the, the doll playing. My little girl would say, Daddy, can you play dolls with me? And I'd go, Yes. Because that's what good dads do, right? And I am in love, and I love, love the fact that all four of my kids love Taco Bell. <laughs> Glory to God. I was afraid that that would not happen. And, and I love, love, love it when, uh, when they first laid each of my children in my arms. We adopted two of our kids. But we got them from the hospital. And I remember, still to this day, when they said, here you go, daddy. And, and you know, it was the weight, Right? And it wasn't the weight of a little six or seven pounder. It was the weight of knowing that I can't screw this up. It was the weight of knowing that, that this is a responsibility that lasts a lifetime. It was the weight of knowing that I have failed at a whole bunch of things, but I cannot fail in raising this little guy Amen. or this little girl. Amen. It's just not an option for me. And it's not an option for you. The weight of responsibility is so incredible. And I remember when they first learned to walk and I remember when they first said, daddy, daddy, daddy out loud. And I love it when, when, when we read to them uh, their stories. And I love it fact, the fact now that they can uh, read for themselves and do their studies. I love just speaking in and going, she's at the desk working and reading and, and growing. I love it. I love it. There's just something special, special. And I love it when they used to play in the sandbox. And I love it now when they play Legos or, or lightsabers as they grow up. And, and you know what else I love? I love to see my little girl playing the piano and singing praises to God. And I love to see her up on these stages leading me in worship. And I love to see my son Zachary play the guitar. I do. I just love it. It just stirs something deep in me. And I remember going to each of their rooms when they were little. And I don't know if you ever did these kinds of things. But I remember going in and telling so loud, all the doors would be open upstairs. And I would tell each of my children proudly that they were my favorite kid, way better than all the other kids. And I would make sure every one of them heard me say that. And I would say, I love you so much more. I love you way more than a flock of flying turtles. That's what I would tell them. And even this morning, Isaac remembers that, and he says, Dad, I never did figure out what flying turtle, what is a flying turtle, and how many are in their flock? And I'm like, son, they're not even real. 
you know? And, uh, and, and I remember, and I love telling them, each to their little faces, that you matter to God. God created you. And God gave you to mommy and daddy. And that God has a plan for your life. And I love telling them that Jesus loves them and that Jesus has great plans for them and that Jesus would never, ever, ever leave them. Ever. Amen? You hear me on this? And and, and I don't know what it's been like for you. All of the ups and all of the downs, I would not trade it for all of the money in the whole entire world. None of it. I love the joy of parenting, and I pray. Listen, friends, I pray. my prayer for you in our little church is that you will know the joy of parenting because parenting matters. And that you will be fulfilled in your role as a parent or as a grandparent. That God would do great things in you and through. That is my hope for you. And my hope for this session today is that we would get around one simple idea, a foundational idea, especially if you have young children. This is so important. You may want to write this down. We're going to call it the overflow principle. I want us to wrap our hearts and our minds around this one little idea, and it's called the overflow principle. And so what's the overflow principle? What's it all about? It's very, very simple. You may want to write this down. As a parent, you cannot reproduce what you are not. As a parent, you reproduce what you are. It is the overflow principle. What is in your heart, what is in your soul, it flows out of you and it has influence on your children. It flows out of who you are and it shapes your children. It molds your children. Your children, my children, will not become what I want them to become. They will not become what I tell them to become. They will not think what I want them to think. They will become who I am. They are molded by who I am and who their mother is. It is the overflow principle. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself, he says it like this. Follow along. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 6. Luke, chapter 6. This is so important, friends. Listen to this. He, he says it this way. He says, the good man brings what? Good things out of the good stored up where? In his hearts. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up where? In his heart. It's the overflow principle. And he says it like this. For out of the, out of the overflow. Say this. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. And and this is the problem with parents all over. And this is the problem with a bunch of Christian parents like us in this room. And frankly, this is, this is my problem as a parent, that we get our priorities confused, that we forget what's really, truly important. We want to make sure that our kids are hip and they're cool and they're, and, and they're liked by all the other kids. And so we prioritize putting Nikes on them and, and making sure they have the latest ripped up jeans and the latest rip stick and everything else that's ripped, right? Uh, we make sure that they have everything that they can to be cool and accepted in this world. We, we make sure that our daughters walk out of the house looking like Taylor Swift. And then we're surprised when they're pregnant and 15, And we go, how did this happen? How did this happen? You see, friends, here's what we we do. We make sure that we want our kids to be well-liked and well-accepted, so we give them everything I. We we give them iPhones and and iPods and iPads, and and we give them everything that is me, myself, and I-centered. And then we wonder, why are my kids so self-centered? Why are my kids so self-absorbed? 
Why don't they care about our family? Why don't they care about other people? Why, they don't, why, don't, why don't they serve? Why don't they have this kind of different heart about them? But we fed them, me, myself, and I. And friends, this is what we do. We, we bought the lie that, that says we prioritize soccer and dance and sports and personal gaming and we entertain them with uh, song after song and movie after movie and game after game, all of which, most of which I should say, is contrary to the very things that we want our children to hold dear. And then we wonder when they're young adults, why why don't they love Jesus? Why aren't they just better people? But we let them entertain themselves with things that are the exact opposite of what we really believe and what we know is good and true and noble in our lives. And so here's what we've done. We, we've prioritized all the wrong things. We bought the, bought the lie from the enemy that, that says that the, the greatest thing, the most important thing that we should do for our children is to make sure that they're educated and, and that our children get into the best colleges so that they can get the best degrees and the best career fields so that they can get the best jobs, earning the best salary so that they can buy the best car so that they can drive to the, to the best house inside the best neighborhoods and fill that best home with all the best stuff of this world. And we think that that is achievement. And we think that that is success. But what if we've got it all wrong? What if at the end of the day that the highest priority for those of us who fear God and love God is to get our children to know and love and follow God? And maybe the greatest tragedy that most of us will end up with is that, maybe the greatest tragedy is that we look around the corner and we go, oh wow, maybe my kid won't have all that that kid has. And we think that that's a tragedy. Or we think that our kid doesn't do all that that kid's doing around the corner. And we think that that's a tragedy, but what if the greatest tragedy was that we as parents have adopted the wrong set of priorities? And what's even a greater tragedy is after adopting the wrong set of priorities that we passed these on and handed these to our kids. And so much of their soul ends up getting lost in the process. Friends, that would be a a tragedy. And it starts with you and me as parents getting caught up in the wrong things and desiring the wrong things and running after the wrong things. You see, friends, listen, we can succeed in every other way in life. But if we fail at this, teaching our kids to know and love God, at least for me and Lynette, we can succeed at all the other stuff. But if we fail at this, we fail at it all. It is the top priority for us. And we could say it like this, and you may want to write this down. This is what I think. This is what I think the Bible teaches us. This is what I think people of God should know. Is that the top priority of godly parents is to teach our children to know and love God. Period. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn uh, to some of the most ancient writings known to all of mankind. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you've got a Bible or a smartphone, turn to the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to see this for yourself because we learn right away from some of the earliest writings that come from the heart of God toward us is that parenting really does matter. What we do with our children, it matters now and it echoes all through eternity. It matters it matters. And so we're going to learn from Moses who, who, uh, who teaches the people the wisdom of God. He, he gives clarity and direction to the people. And, and what's interesting, we're going to go to chapter 6. So if you find it, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to see the overflow principle being taught by Moses. We're going to see that he gives direction for parenting here. This is incredible stuff. And let me just set the context for this little passage for you because it comes right after, chapter 6 comes right after chapter 
5, right? And in chapter 5, Moses introduces the Ten Commandments to the people. He introduces this understanding that God has leadership for our lives and for our homes and for our families. And this is following right after that. And it's the overflow principle. Check this out. He, he says, he says, if we are going to be different, we have to live different. If our community is going to look different, then we have to live different. If our families are going to be different, then we have to raise our families different than this world. And this is what he says to us. And here it is. He says, so these commands, chapter 6, verse 1, these commands and decrees and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, you must what? Obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you must what? And you and your children. Now this is given to the parents to what? Pass on to their kids, to overflow to their kids. It says, you and your children and your grandchildren, they must fear the Lord your God as long as you can as long as you live. You can see that Moses is setting up this priority of parenting, that he's saying parenting matters. He's saying if you get all kinds of things right, but you don't get this right, and you don't pass this on to your kids and grandkids, you've done something wrong. You've done something wrong. That God expects you to live in a different sort of a way, to have a different sort of a family. And Moses sets it up like this. He, he says, if, 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 the, if the principle is called the overflow principle, two key thoughts come from this overflow principle. And the first one is that you must love God. Parents, listen, moms and dads, look at me. Grandparents, look at me. The leadership is for you to love God first, for you to figure out how to put God first in your own life to be an example to your children. It says this. It says, remember, if we skip down just to verse four, it's very interesting. I'm going to read it to you in Hebrew because I think it's so powerful sounding. It's Shama Israel Jehovah Elohim Akkad. And what does that mean? This was uh, something that a devout Jewish family would say three times a day, morning, noon, and night. They would say this little phrase and it would go something like this in English. Hear, O Israel, that our God, our Lord is one God. He's one. And you go, well, that's kind of an interesting little phrase. I'm not sure what it means for me. And now I don't even get that. But listen, what this was was a declaration of what kind of family you would be. This was a declaration that a father would say in front of his children that this is who we are. That we are a different kind of community. That we are a different kind of a people. That we believe in the one God, the creator God over it all. And this is who we are. We don't care if the whole world goes in a different direction. This is what we are going to become as a family. And so they would remind their children of this day after day. And then Moses followed it up with this little phrase. It's in verse five. Listen to this, so powerful. It's the love God principle at work. The overflow. The first thing is that you must love God. This has to flow out of you as parents. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now notice the scripture doesn't say to me or to you. It says, only love God with a little bit of who you are. Only love God when you get time in your life. Only love God with a percentage of who you are, a percentage of your time, a percentage of your sacrifice, a percentage of your money. No, no, no. It, it says something utterly different. It says love God with everything that you are, Amen. everything that you think, everything that you do. He says love God the most in your life. Let it flow out of you. Friends, listen, I don't want this to, be, I don't want this to like make you feel beat up or knocked down. I want you to be encouraged by this. And challenged and inspired by this. But let me just be real. For most of us in this room, or I should say at least for many of us in this room, is we say, oh yeah, we love God. We love God. 
But life with God outside of the church barely registers with you. You come into this space as parents and we say, we're going to church because church is really important. We're going to go meet with God because God's really important. But we walk out there as if he's not. We live as if he's not. And friends, Moses says, you need to love God first with everything that you have. And one of the most dangerous things that we can do as parents is to expose our children to just a little bit of God. How many of you have had the flu shot? Anybody have the flu shot? Anybody? What do they do with the flu shot? What do they do? So you go in and some nurse lady, she puts you in the chair and she takes that little rubber thing, puts it on your arm or whatever she does. And they give you this like shot, right? And then she's going to say, oh, this isn't going to hurt. But inside you're going, oh, no, this really sucks right? And you're going to get the shot, and then she goes, oh, did that hurt? And on the outside, you're going, oh, no, that wasn't too bad. But on the inside, you're screaming death to all nurses, right? But you get this shot, and then you can feel it working in your body. But what has she done? She's actually given you a little bit of the flu. Why? Because it inoculates you from it. It, it. it makes you immune to it. And let me tell you something, friends. I would argue that many parents, so many parents, unknowingly give your children just a little bit of God and the things of God, making them immune to his power and glory and goodness. That was so good, Pastor Jay. Why don't you say that again? Thank you for asking. Let me say this again to you. I would argue, unknowingly, that so many parents give their children a little bit of God and a little bit of the things of God, making them immune to all of his goodness, his glory, and power. We've inoculated our children. They find themselves knowing a little bit about God, but not knowing him personally. Our kids, listen, this is how it happens. Our kids see us saying one thing, but doing another thing. And our kids are not blind. They, they hear us come into this place, and they hear us singing a song on a Sunday, or a Saturday in our case. But they see us and hear us humming a different tune all week long. Our kids are not deaf. And they, and they see us say, oh, isn't it nice? Let's go to church. We got a nice church. We got nice buildings. This is so nice. Oh, God has blessed us so much. God is everything to us. We have such good, I love our church band. I love our, I even like our pastor sometimes. Our pastor's halfway decent sometimes. He is halfway decent sometimes. But they see you do nothing to sacrifice, to build the kingdom of God through the local church. They see you do nothing to move the kingdom of God forward in your own life through the local church. And friends, our kids can see hypocrisy in our life. Our kids can see us saying one thing and doing another thing. They can see what half-heartedness looks like because they see it in us. And they can put two and two together. They, they understand if we say that God is the creator and he deserves all in our life, that he deserves everything in our life, then that we can truly trust him and obey him. If they see us saying that but not doing that, and they, they can see us caring very little for God and the things of God and his church, our kids will think one of two things. One, that God is not real at all. Or two, that you've lied to them about God. Because if God was who he says we, we, we say he is, our lives would be different as parents, as moms, and as dads. This is the overflow principle at work. We cannot give our kids um, 
what we do not have and we cannot teach our kids to do what we do not do for ourselves. And the scripture teaches us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. I heard this little story about a, uh, a family much like some of the families here at Metro, we come in and uh, maybe we find a relationship with God a little bit later and they have an 11-year-old son and, and they're trying to make some changes and they're real excited about this whole God thing, right? They're coming to church all the time and it's really been cool. And, and so the mom and dad, they have this little talk and they say, hey, we gotta make sure our 11-year-old boy, he, we gotta make sure he really knows what this whole Christian thing's about, this whole God thing's about, this whole Jesus thing's about. And so they decided that dad was gonna take him on a fishing trip one day and that he would spend the day with this boy and at part of the day he would make sure he explained everything to him real good real good. Explain now. The dad, of course, was nervous because he's all new to this kind of a thing, and, and he's been around church, but he's never really taken it serious, right? And, and so he's all nervous, but, you know, he gets out on the water, and he's out there with his 11-year-old boy, and, and they start talking. Then the father just jumps for it, right? He just goes for it. He just starts to explain to his little guy all this Christian stuff and all this talk about Jesus and what he means and who he is and, and how much God loves him, and he's the creator of it all and about the church and, and all this stuff, and, and, and he goes on and on, and the dad is sweating bullets the whole time as he's trying to get this right, you know what I mean? And so when they get all done, the dad kind of gets quiet for a moment and goes, son, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Do you really get it? And the son goes, yeah, dad, yeah, I really think I do. So the father's going like, whoo, good. (laughs) That was hard. Then a few moments later after silence, the 11-year-old goes, but dad, I got a question for you. Yes, son, anything. He goes, Dad, have I ever seen one of those Christians that you've been talking about? In other words, the son had not seen it lived out in his home. Let me tell you something. Very simply, God has called you as parents to love him and to be this example to your children. If you say your faith is real, if I say my faith is real, our children, my children ought to see it transforming who I am. They ought to see me wrestle with the struggles of sin and not compromise in them and to move forward in my faith. They ought to see me sacrificing and giving and caring and loving people like God wants me to care and love and sacrifice. They ought to see that it's real in my life. And friends, can I just tell you that they ought to see it in your life, your children and your grandchildren ought to see it in your life. You cannot say one thing and do another thing. This is the overflow principle. Jesus says it like this. He says, out of your heart, your mouth speaks. It overflows from you into your kids. And and so we want to provide our kids, this is what happens, we want to provide our kids with the very best opportunities and so we get them involved with soccer and ballet and piano and baseball and all of this stuff and we become organizational gurus at taking care of all of our kids' appointments, right? And of course, in the process of running our kids all over planet Earth, we have to buy the sweetest car for them to ride in with leather seats and we get this little button on there now you push it and it gets them like nice and warm on their tushies. Right? Because we can't have our kid, you know, cold as we're out taking them to piano lessons. And, and so we buy the best car and then we work extra hard knowing that our kid's like becoming 16 and we want to give them a really nice ride at 16 because that would not only make them look cool, it would make us look cool. Because you know why? You know why? The 16, when I was 16 and I turned 16, I got a car, it was a piece of junk that barely moved down the road. And that would not be good enough for our kids because in modern day world, that would be like child abuse. Right? That would be like child abuse. And, and so we make sure they have it all perfectly. But here's what happens, friends. And there's a tragic mistake in our homes 
in our lives. We become child-centered parents rather than God-centered parents. You should take a picture of that. You should write that down because this is what happens in your home and in my home. The world starts to revolve around our kids and what they need and what they want and what they desire instead of what God wants. And what God desires for them, our whole existence becomes centered around our kids. But Jesus said one time, what is it if you gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul? What good is it? It does no good. And so our kids, uh, we've raised them thinking that they are the center of the universe. And our kids, their soccer game, here's what happens. Our kids' soccer game is on Sunday. And so we take them out of the house of God to put them on a field of dirt. And we think somehow that is nurturing their soul. Or maybe instead of family devotions, we say, oh, just one more TV show. Or I'm too tired tonight for this. And here's what we do. What we do is we go, we, we will drop $500 on the next, I don't even know what they are now, PlayStation 49. Right? But, but, but here's the deal. We'll say, well, hey, listen, the, the, the generation team is, they're, they're doing this winter retreat and it's $110. It's the most amazing weekend of their life. A hundred, the church wants my money. But you turn over $110 every month to Comcast. And you invest in your kids' entertainment but you do not invest in their soul. And I'm just saying Moses and the scripture and God questions all of that. And our kids want to go on a mission. Maybe they should go to Haiti. Well, that's $1,500. You spend $1,500 on junk for your kids every year. And maybe we should send them to Haiti to see what nothing looks like for real. You see, friends, here it is. It's just that we, we become child-centered instead of God-centered. But the overflow principle starts with putting God first in our homes. It starts with us loving God. And here's the second thing, just very, very quick, is we are told to lead our children to God. We are told not just to, you know, hey, point the way. No, we are told to lead them. Lead them. Here's what we do. We say we love God with all of our heart, soul, and our mind, but they, but they see that we don't have time to go to church to worship that God that is important to us. They, they say, you know, we say, hey, don't forget to pray about that. Oh, I'll be praying for my children. But, but we don't. We don't have time to pray. And we hope that our kids wise up and we hope that they learn about God and the things of God, but we don't study God's word for ourselves. We need to be an example. We need to model it for them. We need to lead them into everything that we say. You see, because listen, what we do sends way more of a message than what we say. Is this true? Yeah. It's true. I think this is really true. I came across a study, this will blow your mind, uh, the Barna Research Group. They were looking at the effects of parental involvement and spiritual development of the children, going to church and all that kind of stuff. And this is so revealing. This will blow your mind. They, they, they concluded this, that if a mom and dad went to church, if mom and dad went to church together, 72% uh, chance that those kids would go to church as adults. That's a pretty strong correlation. You can't hardly deny it. There's an influence there, right? Uh, then it says this, if mom only went to church with the kids. As adults, only 15% of those kids would go to church. That's a strong drop. And it's a correlation you just cannot miss, right? But check this out what happens with dad. Listen, dads. If dad only went to church, 55% of kids would go to church as adults. Dads, listen to me. Your influence is unbelievable. Your influence is, it is monumental in your, in your kid's life. 
Do not miss this opportunity. Listen to this last one. This will blow your mind. If neither mom or dad go to church, there's only a 6% chance that your kids will go to church as adults. And their life will become something different. Parents, we are told to love God. A little bit of God in our homes makes our kids immune to it. It makes our kids think that it's just not real with us. But when they see mom and dad running after God, leaning into him, trusting him, becoming more and more dependent on him, moving toward his church and the kingdom, it overflows from you to them. I remember a few years ago, it was probably about six years ago now, uh, my family was out for a glorious night of dinner together. We went to Taco Bell on Western Island. It was awesome. And uh, we're, we're in the whole deal. We got our kids and all four of them are there and we're doing the whole deal and we order and we come and sit down. And uh, somewhere along the way, I noticed that this little old lady and she's like probably 75 years old, just the cutest old lady. And she's kind of watching us, you know, the whole time and she's smiling and we're just doing our deal. But my kids are so friendly and all that. And so they start talking to this lady and they start to tell this lady all about our church and all that we're doing. And this was at the time we did this thing called trunk or treat. I don't know if you've ever heard of trunk or treat, but literally it's like this Halloween event that Metro put on that drew literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And my kids were like, yeah, and we give away a quarter of a million pieces of candy and we have thousands and thousands they line up for miles to come and they're just going on and on and on and so like we're we're watching all this and our kids are talking and all this and the lady's smiling she's so happy and then and then so I say hold on a second I get the kids together and we pray together right in Taco Bell we just kind of gather around and that's what the Shasos do and we just kind of prayed for a moment there and thank God for the food and all that and then when we get up um Zachary's finished telling her story and Zachary uh, and said, just all proud. He's just a little guy at the time. He's just all proud and he goes, and my dad, he's the pastor and leads the whole thing. As if like this is so proud, you know? And uh, the lady at that point, she goes, oh, I get it now. I thought religion had something to do with your little family. And she's like, oh, that's so nice. And I'm sure she meant it as the highest compliment ever. But I remember the exact words that I said. I said to this lady, I said, ma'am, I'm sure you mean that in the best possible way. But I want to tell you something. Religion has very little to do with my family. Very little to do with it. But a big, huge relationship with Jesus is everything to us. It's everything to my family. And that's different. And that's different. You see, as parents, we are told to lead our children, not just point the way, but to lead them. There's a very popular verse in in the Old Testament part of the Bible. It's in the book of Proverbs. And what's interesting about the book of Proverbs, people think that they are... um, uh, that they are promises. They are not promises. They are probabilities. It's like this will probably happen. There, there are things like if you go around getting drunk all the time, you will ruin your life. That's like a proverb. It's true. It's probably going to happen. It may not happen, but it probably will. Well, there is this proverb about raising children, and maybe you've seen it before, and it talks about training our children, and it reads like this. It says in Proverbs 22.6, it says, train a child in the way he would, should go, and when he is old, He will not turn from it. And you go, yeah, that's what I hope. But what's interesting about this little verse is this this word train 
It's a Hebrew word uh, that sounds like a Canadian hockey team. It's, 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 it's kanak. So say that. Kanak. Say it. Kanak. What's interesting about this word, it carries a different tone than just training as you and I think of training. It carries this idea that we are to initiate something. We are to fuel a hunger in them. And so what would happen in, in thousands of years ago when this was written, this word was used also for the palate of a kid's mouth. Interesting. It's the palate of, a, of, a, of your mouth. And, and so a midwife, when, when a Hebrew lady would give birth, a midwife would come, and one of the very first things after the child is born is she would dip her finger in honey or some sort of sweetened paste type of thing, and she would dip it in the honey, and she would put it on the child's mouth in order to initiate a hunger for something that would sustain their life, to initiate the hunger and desire for food that was meant to propel them in life. And so the writers of the scripture, they pick this up and they say, this is how it's supposed to be with parents. That we are to train, we are to initiate this, this hunger. We are to, to move them in this direction where they, that they desire something that is good from God. That, that we are to, like it says in the scripture, that the word of God is like honey. It's like sweetness to our lips. And that a relationship with God is better than life itself. It's better than anything we could eat. And so we initiate that in our children. This is our job as parents and as grandparents. This is who I am supposed to be. And I mess it up all the time. I probably need to go home and confess it to my children that I mess it up all the time. But I cannot keep, I cannot stop fighting for this. I must continue to move my family toward this. Sometimes it's a couple steps back, but I've got to go forward with this. And let me tell you something. So do you. You are called of God for this. You hear me? We are to train our children. The overflow principle. Love God and lead them to do the same. So Father in heaven, we come before you and just quiet our souls for a moment. And God, you, uh, you have been gracious toward us. And I pray that we would somehow figure this out, at least I would somehow figure this out, to pass this on to my children. That you are good. And that you are worth following and loving with all of our heart, soul, and our strength. All of it. And so, Father, in this very room, I pray, especially for the young families, that you know, parents of just young kids and grandparents with just little ones running around, God, this is foundational. I pray that, they would, that the people of our church would be able to move their families towards you. And that God, that they would figure this out. How to love you more than anything. To make you the sole propri uh, uh, priority of their homes. And God, for parents who are a little bit older like me. And uh, God, I pray that, that we'd have wisdom and strength to carry on in the fight. To not give up to continue to move our children towards you. And Father, I want to pray for those in this room right now who might feel like, like they have some regrets. That, there, that there's some brokenness when it comes to their parenting. I pray, Father, that you would somehow inspire them to get up and fight again. That they would not give up on their children ever. Ever. In Jesus' name, together we say, amen. Amen?